A lot of people struggle and avoid the tough conversations about death and dying. Are you one of them? On this episode, my guest, Jill McLennan, provides valuable insights on facing our mortality, living authentically, and finding clarity in life. So listen in and discover how embracing these discussions can lead to a more intentional and fulfilling life. This is the Executor Help Podcast, the show for people who want the sense of security knowing all their affairs are in order. Avoid the stress and anxiety of what could happen to your estate, to your assets, and to your family when you're no longer here. Now here's your host, David Eady. If suddenly death was real to you, if you were given a diagnosis that you only had a few months to live, what would be your immediate, what would you do immediately to spend less time doing? For me, I'd probably want to avoid being around people who brought me no joy and laughter. My guest today, Jill McLennan, is a death doula, and she says you need to understand that you should not be afraid of dying. Be afraid of not living your life, of mindlessly moving from day to day in a, a way that does not empower you and stops you from being your authentic self and life. Jill, thanks for taking the time to be here today to have this conversation. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So, death doula. Right off the top, I'm going to tell you that's angel work. And to me, um, I've had a few death doulas on. And first off, thank you for what you're doing, because not a lot of people will do what you do. So I call it angel work. So what was the path in your life that led you to becoming a death doula? I took care of my grandmother at the end of her life. And it was such a gift for me to be able to be there with her during that time. But I was really kind of clueless going into especially the last like month or so of her life as to what it was actually going to be like, because our society doesn't talk about it. We don't see the realities of it. And so I think like a lot of people, I just thought, I don't know, it's going to be like it is on TV. Grandma will sleep a lot. And then eventually she'll probably just die peacefully in her sleep. And that's going to be how it is. And it became evident very quickly that it was like almost literally overnight, she changed so much. I think part of her had already decided that it was time to go. And so part of her kind of already started to transition. And then there was the other parts of her that just needed to catch up. And it was very confusing. It was very overwhelming. And I was so grateful for hospice because they came in and I was, you know, a little bit upset and just confused. And they were like, okay, let's, let's sit down. We're going to explain some of these things. You know, all of this is natural. It's normal. This is what the human body does as it's ending. It's, you know, as it's ending its existence. (laughs) That's a mouthful. Um, And so even then I started to think to myself, you know, I think I want to do this work. Like this feels like the work that I am meant to do. This feels like my, you know, my destiny is to kind of be here for people, but I just didn't really know how to get to what I wanted to do. This was, let's see, my son will be 13. So this was about 12 years ago. And it took me quite a few years, you know, I was running a business at the time, I had a six month old baby, you know, life was just a little bit crazy. And in 2019, I heard of a death doula. And as soon as I heard it, and the person was talking about 
you know, supporting people through the end of life and being there with them. And I just was like, that's it right there. Like that's the work that I need to do. And so I made a pretty big career change at 40 years old and decided that I was going to take up this new path for, you know, I was food service before this. So it's a very big change for me to go from food service to now working with people at the end of life. But this feels like my calling. This feels like my work. It seems like food service was just kind of there to get me to where I am today. Yeah. So if someone was faced with that reality, like I was talking at the top of your intro, with the, of having just a few months to live, how do you think someone should prioritize their daily activities and would they actually change? I think they do actually change for a lot of people, not everybody. Some people get so caught in the anger at the situation and not accepting that they just get lost in anger and they're not able to change. But for a lot of people, it naturally happens where we start to realize what's important in life and what's not important because all of a sudden we have a timeline on when our life is going to be ending. And most of us live life now with this feeling of like, well, I don't know, I'll be around another 50 years, right? I'll be in around another 40 years, whatever it is, like thinking that, you know, we're going to be in our 80s or our 90s. And we don't know that for sure. But that's the way that we live. And so when we get that timeline of, hey, you know, you've got this diagnosis, you probably are only going to have about six months left to live. Your priorities are going to shift and change. And you're going to start really asking yourself, why am I spending time with people that don't make me feel good? You know, why am I doing things just because that's what I've always done, or that's what I was told I was supposed to do. And I believe that we can do this work before we get this terminal diagnosis. I don't think we have to wait until we're dying to really ask ourselves these questions of why am I doing, you know, like for me, there was things that I was doing that were taking me away from my family and they weren't bad things. You know, I just was busy. I was always busy. I always had to do more and more stuff. I was always helping people and volunteering my time and I don't think that there's anything wrong with those things, but what I realized was if I was dying in six months, would I be volunteering at these events that I'm just exhausting myself and overwhelming myself? Or would I take the time to play games with my children and go for walks in the park and do the things that I was not doing because I needed to do these other things that seemed so important to me? And it allowed me to really slow down and to focus on what's important, which is connecting more with my children and having to say no now to things where, you know, I still do volunteer my time, but I have to be very conscious of how much of it I volunteer. I actually will lay out my calendar now and I will make sure that I have blocks of time scheduled into my calendar of the kids are going to be home from school. Let me 
spend some time with them because they're not going to be around forever. You know, like they're going to grow up and they're going to leave the house. And, you know, if, if nothing else, hopefully all of us will live long, healthy lives, but it still will be different. We're not going to have that same time together. And I don't want to look back when I'm on my deathbed again, hopefully I'll be 90. You know, that would be lovely if I could live to be happy and healthy until I'm 90. And I'll be looking back at my life and thinking that I spent the time with my kids. I was there for them when they needed help with their homework. I was, you know, playing games. I was showing up. I was having the really difficult sometimes, you know, conversations with them, having the fun conversations with them. I'm not going to be thinking to myself, wow, I'm really glad I showed up for that, you know, school bake sale and made sure that I was there doing what I needed to do. You know, like that's not the things I'm going to be thinking of. And it's, but we have to really ask ourselves these questions. And in some ways, imagining, like really imagining that you are dying will help you get clear. And yeah, it can seem a little scary sometimes, you know, like when I think about me dying or I think about my husband dying, like there is a little part of me still, even after all these years now of doing this work that like I get a little choked up, I might get a little teary, but that's okay, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like we can we can handle those things, right? We can handle a little bit of sadness. We are so good at numbing ourselves from all emotions sadness and really, you know, any anger, grief, like all of the things that we don't want to feel the shame, the regrets, we just numb ourselves. But then in the long run, it leads to more of those things. It leads to more sadness. It leads to more anger. It leads to more regrets where if we could just sit with those feelings in the moment and honor them and say, what are you trying to tell me? You know, like if I'm feeling sad and I'm thinking, you know, my husband could die today and I'm feeling really sad about it, then maybe I need to take more time to connect with him. Maybe that's what it's trying to tell me is that I'm feeling that loss of connection with him right now. And so let me take that time, but we're not taught to do that. And so that's why I love to kind of come out here on my soapbox and tell everybody that it can change the way that you live your life. You will live a life that feels more authentic to who you are. Because that's one of the things too, as I was learning about death and dying and reading a lot of books and, you know, just really diving into this topic. One of the things that people say they regret when they're dying is not living their life. They basically designed their life based off of what their parents said, what their community said, what their churches said, what their teachers said, what their friends said, you know, what they thought they needed, you know, they needed to have the job with all the money so they could buy all the stuff. And then they get to the, like, they get to the point where they're actually dying and they're telling, you know, hospice workers and they're telling anybody that's around them at the end of life. I didn't live my own life. I lived a version of somebody else's life. And that's really sad. That really makes me sad for people that that's the last thoughts that they're having is, regret that they didn't live their life. But it's hard to live your real authentic life if you don't even know what you want and what's important to you because we're so bombarded by so much noise all the time from society. 
Well, how can somebody break free from the society's expectations and live a life that aligns with their authentic self? You know, it's going to be different for everybody, exactly what they're going to need. You know, I think one of the things, of course, is um, we need to heal our wounds that we have, the things that we're carrying around that are not serving us, you know, our anger, our, you know, again, the pain, the suffering, the grief, like all the things that we've been holding inside of us. We need to work on healing those things. That's really important. And part of that healing can come from, again, facing it, not being afraid to feel hard things, you know, like we we got so used to just shoving things down. So we have to do things. I really am a fan of um, meditation, you know, and that could be prayer for somebody else, but just that quieting of the noise outside of us can feel so uncomfortable, but it's so important because that's when we're going to really hear our inner voice. And that's when we're going to hear what it is that we truly want for ourselves. But just getting clear on it is the first step, you know, like we need to then still do the work in that, you know, like, again, for me, when I realized that I really wanted to become a death doula. I had all the noise in my head of like, are you crazy? You're 40 years old. You've been in food service for 28 years or whatever it was at that point. I started when I was like 16, you know, I have two kids. Like I was working even for, you know, a university. I was teaching a job um, that was a job training program that I loved. Like everything around me was like, why are you even thinking of this? But the more that I quieted all of that noise, the more I was like, because this just feels right. But then I had to take the steps to do it. And I had to learn what I needed to learn. And I realized that I was not great at learning in a traditional style. You know, like when I think back to being in high school, you know, I I struggled a lot in high school because I didn't learn the way that traditional students did, which is why food service was great for me because it was all hands-on. But you know, doing this training, I was like, all right, I need to learn how to learn better. So that was my first step. I took classes on how to read, how to comprehend things better, how to take better notes, how to, you know, take the information in and then test take better. Like I really spent a lot of time learning those things first before I could even move on to my doula training. And so some of it is just facing the fears that we have of, I can't do this. What am I crazy? What am I thinking? You know, we just need to silence all of that. Is it the fear of on the unknown? Because when it comes to, um, you know, uh, since my book came out and doing this show and, you know, people are just afraid to talk about death, to think about it. Is it is it the fear of the unknown? And then you you bring in the other aspects of, well, you know, I know I should be doing or, or trying to live my authentic life, but I've got, you know, family, friends, and and society. Is there's there's is there some sort of impact that will hold them back from uh, pursuing uh, an individual's personal goals? I think the fear of the unknown is a for sure a huge part of it. You know, even if we don't want to admit it to ourselves we like control. We like 
routine. We like knowing what is going to be coming for us next, even though it's not real, right? Like we don't really have any sense of control, but we like to think that we do. And so this fear of the unknown, you know, and it's hard to with death because I think people are afraid of different things. You know, when I really try to ask people, what is it you're afraid of with death? There's the fear of the potential pain and suffering leading up to death, which that can really be better managed than it is right now. We don't do a great job managing people's pain and suffering leading up to death. And that's within the whole medical community. That's not just even within ourselves. But part of managing that is getting really clear on what we want at the end of our life, what is important to us. Um, And so we have to think about that first before we could know what is important to us. Um, Then there's the fear of like the actual moment of death, you know, of like, there's, again, most of us have never witnessed it firsthand. And so it can be something that is very shocking if you'd not seen it, because it looks like a very different version of our loved one, if they're dying, you know, actively dying, not like, you know, a car accident or something like that. That's a whole different type of traumatic, you know, stuff with death. And then there's the fear of what comes after because nobody knows for sure. And even people that are really, really deep in a faith and think they know for sure, when that moment's facing you, there can still be a lot of questioning and a lot of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've heard stories. I've seen videos. I haven't seen it myself personally yet, but people that are very close to crossing over and they'll talk about whatever they're seeing, whatever they're witnessing, whatever they're feeling is so beautiful. And it's such a feeling of like peace and calm and just really amazing stuff that it makes me think again, I don't know for sure, but that there could be something else, someplace else that we go after we die that is not to be feared, that I shouldn't have a fear of what that is afterwards. And so it really just depends on what people are afraid of when it comes to death. I think, well, for me, is it the biggest, my biggest fear could be the fear of leaving, just leaving who you're leaving behind, all the relationships of the really important people in your lives. Is that from what, you know, the conversations you've had, people uh, leaving uh, leaving here, you say that they see something beautiful and they're at peace. For them to get to that point, and they've always been afraid, they see that there's nothing to be afraid of, but us living right here, right now, it's the fear of leaving, which can affect how we uh, are afraid and, and maybe we just want to procrastinate and just not have this conversation. Yes. And that's a big thing of, even when I talk to people that they believe in say reincarnation, I'm like, okay, cool. Like that sounds like a great, great idea. You know, maybe my husband and I will come back together or even say heaven, you know, maybe my husband and I will meet each other again in heaven. Maybe my children will meet, you know, we'll all be together again, but it still won't be this life. It won't be this body. Like it won't be this interaction that we're having. And there is part of me that does feel sad that I don't want to leave this. But yet at the same time, 
I actually just interviewed uh, my husband on my podcast yesterday because it's my last episode of this year before I take a little break. And so he was my first episode and he was my last one. And one of the things that we talked about was he said, yeah, but you don't want me to live forever either. Like you don't want me to be immortal. And I was like, no, that's true. You know, I don't want to be immortal. I wouldn't want him to be immortal. So we have to have an ending to this. Like there's, there's really no other way that we could do it that would make any sense in any, you know, in any realm of the imagination, I would think. And it makes me really appreciate even more the time that I do have with them. You know, like my kids are still little. Sometimes they still want to like, I mean, they're actually not even that little. They're, you know, nine and 11, but they still sometimes want to like jump on me and climb on me and like get all in my hair and just like, they're just all over me some days. And there's times when even if I start to feel that feeling within me of like, oh my gosh, like I can't breathe. They're all over me. (laughs) Like they're driving me nuts. Then I think to myself, yeah, but one day this isn't going to be here. Monday, this isn't going to be an option to have them climbing on me and potentially poking me in the eyeball again, you know, (laughs) like, and it makes me appreciate it in a way that I was not able to do in the past. Like that anxiety and that frustration would just build up in me where now I'm able to kind of flip it to a sense of gratitude for the fact that one day we're not going to be here. And so I want to experience this now while I can fully, of course, while also protecting my eyeballs, you know, so there's within limit, but it has changed just the way that I show up every day in the world, knowing that this is going to come to an end at some point. And I think that's not a bad thing. Well, you emphasize acknowledging the reality of one's mortality as the first step to living intentionally. Uh, But how can individuals practically start this process in their lives? First off, listening to this conversation, that's a start, right? Having Having your own recognition of your own mortality will not be something that you can just easily sit down and be like, you know what, you're right, I'm going to die and I'm going to be okay with that. Like that, it doesn't really work that way. But listening to a conversation like this, where we're talking about it, feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but still continuing to listen, still continuing to show up, still continuing to feel those feelings is a natural way to start it. And I like the idea of, asking myself, you know, every day, if I were to die today, would I be okay with the interactions that I had with the people around me? Even just that little question has really changed again, the way that I show up. And it's just that I don't want to die today. You know, it's not like anybody that's listening, you know, don't think that like I I would not be okay if somebody were to say to me, you know, you're going to die in six months. Like I would really struggle with that. I'm not going to lie. But I also know that if that were to happen, I can look back at the last couple of months, the last couple of years and really feel like 
I have spent so much time doing what I wanted to do and what I needed to do with my family and my, you know, my little circle of friends that I have, and even with my career. But again, career is the lowest thing on my list, which it didn't used to be. And now I just, you know, having that one little question of if I were to die today, would I be okay with the last interaction I had with my children? You know, I dropped them off at school. I'm very intentional about saying to them, I love you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. You know, like when my husband leaves the house now, I make sure, you know, I love you, have a great day, you know, drive carefully, whatever it is he's doing. So that if we were to die today, I would be okay with it. And even if people just do that little thing right there, it can really help you begin to be okay. And then you really should start diving a little deeper into the practical parts of preparing for the fact that we're going to die. You know, thinking about what we want at the end of life, as far as our medical care, you know, who do we want around? Who's going to be our medical power of attorney? You know, like getting some of that information um, really clear, having it down in writing, but not just having it in writing. We still need to have the conversation. So there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, sometimes nudging people to have the conversation. Um, but I actually have a Facebook group that I love. And in the group every day, I just post a different question and some days it'll be about like death and dying, right? Like what would a good death mean to you? Other days, it's like, what does living a good life mean to you? You know, like it's it's a wide range of different questions that have to do with death, dying, grief, but also living life. And I've had so many people tell me that they're in my group. I've never seen them like a question. I've never seen them answer any of the questions, but I'll like run into them out in public and they'll say, oh, I'm in your group. And, you know, I love your questions so much. And I've started talking about them to my husband and my parents, you know, every day you post the question and then I'll say, Oh, in the Facebook group today, she posted this question. And so it's really started conversations. So these don't have to be heavy conversations, you know, like you just need to start it. I think we all feel so afraid of starting the conversation because we think, Oh, we're going to have to sit down and it's going to be so dark and it's going to be so heavy and morbid and overwhelming. It doesn't have to be. If we could just start a little bit every single day, thinking about it, talking about it, it will naturally happen that you will start to really shift your life and you'll really start to get clearer on the fact that we will all die one day and you'll feel better prepared because that's the thing. We're going to have to face it at some point. You know, this is not the type of thing where you're like, well, if I just avoid, you know, thinking about like, okay, drugs, right? So if I just avoid drugs my entire life, I'm never going to have to deal with addiction or, you know, all the health consequences. Like I could avoid that. But with death, we can't avoid it. We're going to have to face it at some point. And it's really much better for you and for your family if you have this conversation now while you're healthy, while you're clear-minded while you're able to think straight because it's not an emergency. There's not doctors yelling and, you know, we need to know right now, what do they want? Well, I don't know what they want. We literally never talked about it, right? We don't want to get to that point. So it's, it's something that you're going to have to face. It's really better to face it now and just work through it now. 
you're because I always say that you can't have a meaningful conversation when somebody's on a ventilator. So no, you cannot. Do you find when you're having conversations with uh, you know, the patients are near the end that they do talk about their regrets? I do find that people will talk about their regrets. They'll talk about the things that they wish they would have done. And they will also talk about the good times, right? The things that they really loved and that they really appreciated in life. And it really is not the things that most of us focus on. And so, you know, when I'm sitting and I'm talking with somebody, you know, a lot of times the regrets and the more negative aspects of what they're thinking about is, you know, the arguments that they had with their siblings, the arguments that they had with their exes. You know, there's a lot of people that it's like, oh, my ex-wife or my ex-husband, you know, like I wish we would have just done things differently, done things better. You know, I have a lot of regrets around the way that we split up and what that did to our children, you know, like things that in the moment we're so focused on, you know, our anger and our frustration and like this thing. But then when we get to the end of life, it's like, did that really matter? Was that really that important? And, you know, I talked with one woman actually for a while. And the thing that we talked about the most that she, really was so focused on was making cookies with her family. That was the one thing that she just, all the different times that they made cookies together. And it's something that we, again, we kind of take it for granted. You know, I even think back to when I was younger, you know, how many times my grandmother wanted to cook with me in the kitchen, wanted me to help her with things, but I needed to go watch my cartoons or I needed to go out with my friends, you know, especially once I got to high school, like I had to go do all these things. But now when I think back and I think back to high school times, I think back to the times that I was with my grandmother in her kitchen and we were spending time together. You know, I'm not thinking back to necessarily positive things, you know, of like, well, I was out with my friends and we were in the woods and we were drinking, you know, like yeah. that's so, you know, it's it's hard because you know, we're we're human. We are not going to ever live life perfectly, right? There's there's no way to completely alleviate um all of our problems all of our pain, all of our suffering. But if we can just work towards every day, just honoring what feels true to us. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, you burn your whole life down. I mean, maybe for some people it does. Like, you don't just like quit your job and, you know, leave your marriage and be like, you know, I'm done with all of this. We we need to also sometimes, I think, be realistic. And we're, again, you know, especially when I think of like marriages and jobs and things where I would have like these frustrations with people, the more that I got okay with my end of life and the more that I really just kind of want to show up for every experience as fully as I can, the more that the things that used to really bug me about my husband don't matter anymore. Yeah. You know, like his little annoying habits that sometimes would get me really frustrated. And then it would be like hours later and I would still be annoyed about this like one stupid thing. Now I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really matter. doesn't matter. And so I just show up so 
differently than I used to. And even at work, you know, like I'm working with people that are, you know, I'm thinking back to like my, cause I still work part-time um, at this one nonprofit that I work for. And I love it there so much. And I love my coworkers, but, you know, working with a group of people working in kitchens where we're all on top of each other, like we all get on each other's nerves and, you know, right. everybody's different and some people are cleaner than others. And like some of the, the things that would really kind of just irk me in the past. Now I'm like, I don't know, at least we're all still here together. You know, like at least they're still here. I'm still here. We're doing this thing together. We're all working towards the same mission. You know, like the little things that used to really bother me just don't bother me as much anymore. And, and I know that's because of this way that I've been trying to just focus on what's really important in life. And then the other things just kind of work themselves out in a way of like, like, it just doesn't matter. And so I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm not stressed out like I used to be. I'm just kind of trying the best that I can. And it doesn't mean that life's always great. I mean, I still get angry and frustrated about things. Um, but it's just a lot easier for me to let all of that anger and frustration go and just focus on what's really important. So what advice would you have to, you would give someone who's who's struggling right now to express their true self? First, you need to definitely get really clear on who your true self is within yourself. You know, when I still sometimes when I sit down and again, I think for me, meditation is huge because that's when I get to silence all the noise and there'll be parts of me that really want to show up in the world. And I'm still a little bit afraid of, you know, especially nowadays with social media, you know, you have to be on social media for businesses, but also like social media can be a brutal place people can be really nasty and really mean and I'm like you don't even know me like what is going on here and there's still part of me that hides my true authentic self out of fear and it's not even that I'm afraid of what somebody is going to say to me I'm afraid of my reaction to what they're going to say and so once I got really clear on you know, what it is that's really important to me, what parts of me I really want to show up and be my full authentic self, I had to really admit it even to myself. It was like this like little internal battle almost going on where there was like the logical Jill, the Jill that like grew up in, you know, small town, South Jersey, you know, very Catholic family, very like, this is the way that you live your life still will sometimes fight with the Jill that is my real authentic self. And so I just had to get really clear on it. And then just over time, you know, and it's hard too, because sometimes when we start to live our authentic self, it does threaten the people around us because they feel very like, well, you know, that that's not you though. That's not really you. And it's like, well, no, actually, this is really me. The part that you used to see wasn't really me. And so it just can get a little tricky with that. So we have to really be kind of not in a mean way, but we have to be very firm with the people around us as well of like, no, but this is me and you can't shame me and you can't guilt me. And you maybe don't like 
some of the things that I'm believing or doing or saying, but that doesn't mean that you get to tell me how to live my life anymore either. And that can be scary. So I know it can be scary, but that's when, again, then I say to people, but just imagine you were dying. Like really imagine you're laying on your deathbed right now and you're looking back at you at 45, right? Because that's how old I am now. Am I going to be worried then that somebody said something to me online and made me feel bad? Or am I going to care more that I said something and it really inspired people to live their own life? Or I just felt good showing up, living my own life. Like what's really going to matter to me? And sometimes that's just enough to help me get over the fears that I still sometimes have of being my real, you know, authentic version of myself. Because it wow. is scary. I know it's scary. And at the end of the day, it really comes back down to what 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 really matters. You know, all of those things. I should give full uh, disclosure uh, before I uh, pushed a record. I told you today was my birthday, opened my eyes today. And I was saying, wow, what I'm grateful for. And I thought about it. And I guess there's a reason that I'm having this conversation today with you because it made me think about more, you know, am I afraid to die? Absolutely. I'm not ready to leave my little, my new granddaughter, uh, P baby. I'm not ready to leave Susan. I'm not leave, ready to leave my, uh, my friends and family. But having this conversation today with you, and clearly, uh, again, you're doing angel work, I'm talking to an angel, that it made me think of, you know, what's, you know, what's, you know, what's really important in life. Um, it's, uh, I've got a head cold, uh, compliments of P-Baby, but my health, that's what's most important. What's important is the people around me. Like I said, uh, I want to avoid people that's, that aren't going to bring me any joy and any uh, any laughter because I love to laugh um, and, and just be around the people that I love, care the most. I want to thank you to thank you so much, Jill. Oh, before I go, how can, tell me a little bit about if people go to your your website, what they're going to find, and tell me a little bit about let people know more about your angel work. Oh, of course, thank you. So uh, my business name is End of Life Clarity. That is my website, and I really named it that because I want people to get clarity around the end of life, their own, the realities of what it really is, right? So I do have um, my blogs up on there where I try to talk about different topics. I have a podcast that I um, host where I talk to different people about death and dying and grief and living life just to normalize these conversations. So, you know, if today was the first time you know, some of your listeners had heard anybody really talking openly about death and dying and grief, you know, I definitely think they should start there. Just listen to some conversations, get comfortable hearing other people talk about it. And then you'll start to get more comfortable talking about it yourself. You know, think about some of the things that we talked about today. And if people want any help, whether um, they're dying or they're caregiving somebody that's dying, or even if you're healthy, honestly, we should really start having these conversations. And that's part of what I do as a death doula is I help people do um, what I call an end of life care plan because there, 
there's a lot of different things that we can think about. Some are heavier than others. You know, some of them is like, what are your medical decisions that you want to make? Others are, what type of music do you want? Do you want candles? You know, what do you want around you? And the document that I do with people, it's not necessarily a legal document. It just helps you get clear on some of these things so that then you can do your legal paperwork. You can have the conversations that you need to have with your loved ones. Um, So I could really help support people through all of that. Um, But I'm always happy if anybody, you know, has any questions or anything like don't hesitate to reach out and just connect with me. Um, I just, I love talking to people about this and it's important work. Um, so I'm grateful that you gave me the opportunity on your birthday, which I think is like, I don't know. Sometimes I do have that idea of like, things are meant to happen. And I think hopefully this is the beginning of a new year for you where now maybe the next year you're going to really get clear on what it means for you to live your like true, authentic, intentional life. So I hope for your birthday, that was a wonderful gift for you. You were, you have, again, having a a conversation with the angel, with an angel is one of the best, uh, best gifts I could have had today. I really appreciate it. Um, Joe McLennan, death doula. I really appreciate you for taking the time to be here today. And clearly we should have more conversations uh, down in the future. I'd like to have you back. Thank you so very much for taking the time to be here on the, on the, on the podcast. Hmm. Well, thank you for having me and enjoy the rest of your birthday. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Can you do me a favor? Show some love for the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Can you share it with your community? Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more information, free resources, or just want to get in touch, go to davidedy.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.